with Jesus is the basis for all joy, our joy. That's what he wants us to have and he invites us into it. So when we, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we should actually live a life of joy. You could practice that now by smiling at me. <laughs> Come on, you won't, won't, won't break your face. There you go. Thanks, Noah. That was awesome. Great. Joy. Joy is, joy is what Jesus leads us into. And, and I want to I look at a parable this morning, a parable that Jesus told um, the church, actually. And I think it's for us today. And I want to unpack it a little. I want to I bring relevance to what we're experiencing here as a church family. I want to point to the kingdom truth that he has made available to us. And then I want to point to where I believe God is leading us as a church. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to page 786. Matthew chapter 9 is uh, Jesus talking to all his friends. Um, some of you will swipe there. But usually the page turners are faster. Matthew chapter 9 of verse 14, uh, Jesus is doing his traveling ministry and uh, he's got a friend called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has disciples and the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like we do and like the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in the wineskin, in new wineskins, so that both are preserved. This is the parable we're going to unpack today. There's three parts to it. Um, just for context, what you, what you need to, I suppose, just put in your head as far as understanding where it all fits is Jesus is responding to verbal criticism about the way he leads and teaches his disciples. So as a rabbi, he had followers. They're called disciples. There was 12 who were named. There's many, many more who followed him. And Jesus is teaching them how to live as far as the, the understanding of the kingdom of heaven being here through Jesus Christ. And it looks different. And the Pharisees are grizzling and complaining. And, the, and even John's disciples, who might be hungry while they're asking this question, think about that. John's making us fast, go without food. And you followers are having a feed. What's going on with that? A little bit of grizzle going on. So Jesus is about to turn everything upside down. And we're going to look at that this morning. See? Jesus did come to upset religion. And uh, let me just uh, make this quite clear for you as a listener. Jesus has come to upset you. Be prepared for that. Be open to that. That Jesus has come to upset what you might think is true in order that you would receive his revelation and walk in what is true by his definition. See, even when he upsets us, what he's hoping to do is lead us into the revelation in order that we would have new life. In this passage here, Jesus is referring to himself right at the beginning. The first thing we want to focus on is verse 15, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom, the bridegroom? Of course not. Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom. And what we understand in the context of all scripture is that the church, the followers of Jesus would be the bride. 
Boys and girls included, that's a little bit hard to get your head around, but let them upset you. Let them turn that upside down. Each one of you, as you respond in invitation to the love of God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, you step into the place where you're included in the body or the bride of Christ. So this is a romantic picture, should be a romantic picture, that Jesus is painting for us to step into. And the aim of him upsetting us in this way is that we'd realize that what he's leading us into is a place where joy would abound, where joy would be full. Like he said, I lead you in this place in order that your joy would be full. So he's got his friends that he's calling his bride. He's saying he's the bridegroom. This is a romantic place where each one of us get to step into by choice in response to the invitation. And then Jesus talks about two different things. He talks about a garment being clothing, and he talks about wine being wine. And he's going he's gonna to mess with our thinking, I, I think, here. And I've, I've, I've titled the message, for those of you taking notes, um, and a lot of people listen to the podcast to catch what I say, so the, the title at the top of the page is The Wine of Jesus. And what I want to say to you this morning, and what I lead you towards a place where hopefully you can receive the wine of Jesus, which will bring you joy. That's what I think he's saying to us this morning. The wine of Jesus brings us Joy. See, the, the aim of life with Jesus is that we would walk in joy. And, and the problem is, if you look at the scriptures and you understand what Jesus is doing with the audience that he has being the followers of John the Baptist who believed in Jesus Christ and the Pharisees who were the leaders of the church, is Jesus is saying, well, I'm sorry, but some Christians just won't experience that joy. It's possible you'll miss it. And that, I, don't just, by that mean, I don't just mean you sit there with a grumpy look on your face. Because joy is not actually about the smile or the absence of a smile. Joy is what's within. But the scary thing when you understand what Jesus is doing here is that some of you will miss out on the joy. And that should give you motivation to listen to what Jesus is saying this morning. Some of you will be sitting in what I call the old ways. So Jesus in this, in this parable is contrasting old and new. He's contrasting old and new. So we've got the old ways, which is the ways of religion, the ways of previous understanding, the ways of the scriptures as they understood it. Now, don't, don't, don't mis misunderstand that. You can read the scripture and still misunderstand it. Jesus is trying to bring a fresh revelation and upsetting the followers at that time, and I believe for us also. He's saying, look, you can even read the Bible, know the Bible, memorize the Bible, because the Pharisees memorized most of the Old Testament. He says, and even there, you can miss the new wine that I have for you and therefore miss the joy that I have for you. So it's not about Bible knowledge. It's about revelation. So what we've got to do is step into that place. The whole point of this message came out of a conversation or a statement that someone made. And we were sitting in our team meeting. We have um, staff meeting, team meeting on Tuesday. We have um, all our interns in. We have volunteers and we have um, staff. And I'm, I'm taking the staff through a whole bunch of stuff. I have shared this with you before around how we do church as family because we're trying to get a revelation of the culture of who we are as a church family. And, and someone, one of the team made this statement. Uh, I will read it to get the words right or the meaning right at least. She says this, Phil, the way you are teaching us to live is completely different to what we've been taught by previous pastors. And this is a new and challenging thing for many people in the church. We've been taught rules, but you're teaching freedom. 
These ways of the kingdom, you teach are new paradigms for many people. And I stopped. And I had to check myself to make sure that I don't just run off on a tangent and not take people with me. Because if you call yourself a leader and you've got no one following, then really you're just going for a long walk by yourself. So the point of me sharing that is to say, like, I, I hear the comments and I, I try to understand what's going on with the revelation of the body, the family we have, and I'm trying to point out that we're going to need to shift a few things. The theme for this year is our rhythm defines us. Everything I do, I try and hang on that hook. But in music, if these guys all had a different rhythm, you, you wouldn't enjoy it. In the same way as a church family, if we're all operating on a different rhythm or beat, then we're not going to make a joyful sound at all to the Lord. So again, I just want to pause and, and bring some thoughts around what Jesus is saying. There are three things that will rob you of the joy of Jesus. Um, we, we see them in the story. The first one is legalism. Pharisees were well known for legalism. Jesus would upset them as many times as he had opportunity Legalism, let me read this definition. Legalism is an attitude of pride in which I congratulate myself for keeping certain standards while I can condemn those who don't keep them. Legalism. Pharisees in this passage of Scripture, the disciples of John didn't understand. They're going, well, look, there are the rules. Why don't you follow the rules? Why are you different? And, and it drew them into a place of, of seeking truth. Second thing that will rob you from the joy of Jesus is conservatism. Conservatism is a position where you say, well, I'm going to stick with the old because it's something I know. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reject the new just because it's new. The Pharisees were like this. They were wrestling with it. The, the disciples of um, John, I believe, were more open to it. The Pharisees, I mean, we could read story after story after story of Jesus upsetting the Pharisees because they had the wrong understanding of the kingdom. Conservatism means I reject the old, I reject the new just because it's new. And finally, the third thing that robs you of the joy of Jesus Christ is fear. Fear can be defined in a biblical context. Fear can be defined as faith in the wrong thing. And you know, I, I get to spend time with a lot of people and I um, provide, I suppose, in some ways support to them as they walk through journeys and decisions and, and um, not so much to offer them counsel necessarily or advice, but just to support them in that. And sometimes I have people say, well, you know, I'm waiting in faith. And I say, well, no, you're not. You're waiting in fear because you're not, you're not able to control the outcome, so you're waiting until you can, or until you can manipulate it, or you can twist it to actually give you what you thought you need instead of what God has for you. Fear robs the Pharisees of stepping into this place because they can't control what Jesus is doing. So I, I have this phrase, legalism kills life, conservative ignores potential, and fear diverts hope. Legalism kills life. Conservatism ignores potential, and fear diverts hope. As I'm wrestling with this sort of message, as I do for several weeks, uh, I brought it to the team on Tuesday. I said, hey, I've got these thoughts. We've got the old way of thinking, the paradigms of, of religion and life, and we've got the new way, which is what Jesus is teaching us, and I wonder what that might look like in our current reality here. So we got the team to brainstorm a whole list 
Just to say, what, what are some of the struggles that we have as believers and followers of Jesus in doing life in the tension of the now but not yet, hoping to do it in partnership with him? And they listed a whole board full of possible things that could happen. It included attitude towards money and giving. It included, in, included attitude towards leadership. It included um, how we view and prioritize our time and how many times a week we should go to church. Uh, it, it, it prioritized um, even um, volunteer um, roles in the church and, and how we act in unity as a family. But I said to them, okay, well, now you've got a list. Let's narrow it down. What do you reckon your top five are? And I said, between now, which was two o'clock and the end of today, while no one's looking, just go and put a mark next to five of these things so I can just actually know what the top five are by our observation or assessment. Um, and I might share that with the church. You want to know what the five are? So you can avoid them. (laughs) This is not a to-do list, it's a not-to-do list. Number one on the list was our identity, how we see ourselves. And this will always be a challenge for us as believers, is, is fully grasping what God says about us rather than what we believe about us. The older you get, the harder it is to change that. You can hear a fresh word or a revelation from the scripture and go, well, that doesn't line up with what I think. I'm doing everything I can to convey what God says about you in order that you might believe it to be true. Second thing they, they, they ranked on the list was that some people believe that the pastor should be the primary caregiver in the church. Now that was true in the days where the church was in regression and it became closed and it was not focused on serving the needs of the community. But there's a fresh revelation around how we as a body are empowered, each one of us, as ministers and and to kings and priests in the kingdom, or that we would go and be the message of Jesus, not just one guy. Another one on the list was Christians judging Christians. Don't share videos, don't make comments about other ministers. Read Romans 14. People still have a view, number four, is that God is a God of rules. We learned at School of the Spirit last week that the Ten Commandments weren't called commandments by God. They were actually in the biblical model of thinking, the Hebrew model of thinking, they were actually uh, conditions in a marriage contract that God was offering as a proposal to the entire world. When we are united in marriage and covenant, this is what life looks like. God is not a rule-based God waiting for you to trip up so he can beat you with a stick. We've got to step into a place where we understand he's a loving father who wants you to know that you're loved by him and then learn to love him the same way. Finally, I just want to keep this short, but uh, woman in the church was on the list. I'll skip that one. (laughs) Jesus brings us a new doctrine, and it's a new way of living. Jesus brings us into a place where where we should actually stop and challenge everything. Don't just think because you've been here or you're in leadership or because, you know, you've been to Bible college that you've finished learning about Jesus and the way he wants us to live. We've all got to grow and move into a fresh space, a fresh, what I call, um, the Bible refers to the Rema word of God being the fresh word of God, not that doesn't contradict the Logos word of God, the written word of God, but it's for now, it's a moment, it's a prophetic utterance for our season, and there's plenty of that that happens in this church. We've got to, we've got to understand that and partner with it. Jesus wrestles with the tension between what he knows to be true and what he sees in reality, and this is what we see experienced here. This can include all sorts of things, but let's talk about what Jesus leads us into as a revelation of truth. 
Verse 16. Look at it in your Bibles. Jesus says, Who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear before. So imagine you have a nice robe. It's your favorite robe. You've worn it for a long time and it's been washed and washed and it's kind of lost the ability to shrink because it's been washed so much. And then you catch it on the TV cabinet as you're walking and it tears. So you take a new robe and you cut it up and you attach the new patch to the old robe. Well, when you wash it, the new patch is going to shrink and the old one isn't. That's the understanding of that, that, that there. What Jesus is talking about is he's taking us into um, thinking about our external practice, what is on the outside. And he's specifically upsetting and challenging the Pharisees' model because, again, the Pharisees had taken what God defined as love and turned it into rules. And their worship had become about what they do, not who they worship. Don't turn your worship into what you do. Always focus on who you worship. And this is what Jesus is referring to. So, so the, the external um, picture of what, what Jesus is re- leading us into his revelation is about our external practice. It's about our behavior. It's about our actions. It's what we think we need to do to worship God and to honor him with our lives. Jesus is saying, don't just add Jesus to your existing life. You can't walk into a relationship by faith with Jesus and just plonk him on top of everything you already have. Because the warning is in Scripture, if you do that, it will cause a tear to the old and will destroy it. That's a warning. If you just try and add Jesus to your existing life, it's going to rip your existing life. And both will be wasted. So Jesus says that you know, we've got to put aside our old ways of thinking. We've got to put down on the altar of Jesus Christ the, the old paradigms about faith and religion and allow him to bring newness. Paul got this revelation all through the New Testament, based on the story that, uh, of the conversation that he read, where um, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus are having a chat, John chapter 3. Jesus says, for you to enter the kingdom, for you to see the kingdom, you must be, come on, be born again, be born again. that's right. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, behold, we are a, uh, new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is not about a mixture of the two. For you to receive new life, you must first experience death. Death is permanent forever, all gone. And this is what Jesus is saying here. I want you to see the warning that you would not walk into a place where you think, oh, this is easy. I can come to church. I can clap in time with everyone else and I can say amen when everyone else does and I'll just add Jesus to what my life looks like. And then leave here and go and do the same old things you've always done. Jesus is warning us against that. It's a new life. And I love the story of the new church and the beginning of Acts from Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday. We studied and looked at that last week right through the first four, five, six, seven chapters after that. Where the church was just filled with the joy of Jesus so that their lives were completely transformed. Unrecognizable. I think Jesus is saying to us, all or nothing. All or nothing. It's a good word, but it's not an easy word. 
So just think carefully before you nod to it. All or nothing. I wonder what that means for you. I wonder as we, um, we're not closing now, but we will later, um, as we come to the close of this message, I wonder what Jesus would be saying to you, all or nothing. What's the old that's got to go, be put to death in order that the new can come? I wonder. I hope you ask him. Don't just skip out of here thinking, whew, got away with that. <laughs> Off to lunch. Pause, contemplate, reflect, and ask Jesus, what is the old that you're asking me to put to death? And we'll have a time for that. All things technology going well. The second part of the um, parable that Jesus talks about is wine. So we've looked at the garment being the external practice of who we are. And then Jesus brings this verse in verse 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins will burst from the pressure spilling the wine and ruining the skin. New wine is stored in new wineskins, so both are preserved. The, the new wine represents the new life that comes inside us when we surrender our lives to Jesus. Garment represents the external. Wine represents the internal. To have a, a life of joy with the wine of Jesus Christ means the inside needs to become new wine. So in Jesus' day, when he's talking to his audience, what were they thinking when they heard him say that? Well, we know that they had wine because Jesus in John chapter 2 did the miracle at the wedding where he turned what? Water into wine. And he said, bring me six stone jars full of water. So there were these big jars and they carried them to him and he turned it into wine. Really good wine, apparently. The best wine, apparently, if you trust the story. So they didn't have um, bottles, they didn't have kegs or flagons or casks or anything to carry their wine. They had these big stone jars, but you can't carry a stone jar on your donkey to your friend's place for dinner. So what they used to do is they'd have these wineskins, and they were made out of leather. They were made out of usually goat leather. And they were, they were preserved, and then they were treated, and then they were bound together, probably stitched or some kind of seal with an opening at the top that they could pour the wine into and then seal it, tie it with a, a piece of string or leather, and they'd put that in their pouch, and then they would go to the pate with the wine. So Jesus is saying, well, you can't have new wine and then put it into an old wineskin. What does that mean? Well, the leather, as it gets older, would perish. The leather would become overused, it would become stretched, and then it would become brittle. And when that happens... There's really no movement or flexibility in that leather anymore. Don't know if you've had a pair of leather shoes that you've worn for quite a long time. At the beginning, they're flexible, pliable, and they stretch to your feet. And after a while, they just don't stretch. They just stay molded the way they are. All right? Does that make sense to you? Just think of your favorite pair of leather slippers that you've ever had and the smell of the slippers and the way they were perfectly molded to your feet. So a wineskin... We know what a wineskin is. Well, when you make wine, apparently, the wine has this um, transformation process from when it was grapes to when it becomes wine. And there's a chemical process that I can't understand, so I won't try and explain it. But essentially, it's called fermentation. And when the wine has this chemical reaction and fermentation, it's extremely violent and effervescent. 
think Barocca. Drop a Barocca into a water and you get the bubbles and the froth and the foam and, and there's a chemical reaction happening. That's what happens with fermentation in the wine. And so Jesus is saying, if you put new wine into a brittle wineskin and it starts bubbling and fermenting and, and causing all this violent reaction inside, you're going to burst the wineskin, which means the wineskin is dead, gone, no use anymore, and the wine is spilled and wasted. Jesus says, don't do that. So let me explain this, because this is the cool part for you. When Jesus says... No one puts new wine into an old wineskin. The word new that he uses in the Bible, in the Greek translation, is neos. And neos means new. But it means brand new. It means like never had before. It's like a prototype or we would say it's a fresh brand new thing. So Jesus says, don't take the fresh brand new wine that you're fermenting and and, and aging and put it into an old wineskin. Instead, put the new, the fresh, the brand new, the prototype, the bubbling up stuff, put that into a new wineskin, but he uses a different word for new. He uses the Greek word kainos. And kainos means renewed, not brand new renewed. So the good news for you is to receive the new life of Jesus Christ that bubbles up and violently inside of you, has this whole lot of stuff going on. Jesus says to contain that, your need to be renewed. How do they do that in Bible days? Well, they would take this leather wineskin and it's a bit brittle and they know they can't put the new wine in it, but they really want the new wine and they can't afford or don't have a new wineskin. So what they do is they renew the wineskin. And do you know how they do that? They take olive oil and they massage it in to the wineskin, into the leather and into the grain inside and out. And then it makes it more pliable and it gives it more moisture so it's no longer dry and brittle. And then it becomes able to move with the violence of the fermenting wine. What does olive oil represent in the Bible? Not a trick question. Come on, what does the olive oil represent in the Bible? The Spirit of God, the baptism of the Spirit. When, when believers or leaders were anointed, they anointed them with oil that signified the presence of God. When Aaron, the high priest, was anointed by Moses and the tribes, they poured oil all over his head and it ran down dripping from his beard and onto the edge of his garment. He was completely glistening with olive oil, symbolizing the fact that he had been filled with the presence of God. This is actually the good news part. This is where you go, oh, maybe it's good for me too. This is where you go, oh my goodness, I could actually contain the new life and the new wine of Jesus Christ by having the Holy Spirit massaged into me by Jesus so that the winemaker renews me so that I can contain the violent life that is the new wine so that suddenly I can be filled with the Spirit and have life that's abundantly full of joy, which is what Jesus Christ came to give you. Some of you think that's a good idea. But, but you know, it might be different for you. I get that. Old and new. Old paradigms, new paradigms. What does that look like for us? I mean, it's, it's not comfortable. Last week, baptism, the Holy Spirit, people got filled with the Spirit. Some fell over doing weird, what might look like weird things. We can't control that. 
It's the Spirit of God choosing to do what the Spirit of God does. But we have to make room for that and allow that by having His Spirit massaged into us so that we're not containing His life inside our old paradigms. What happens when someone gets baptized before they truly believe what salvation is? We don't go, oh, that's not the process. You can't do that. Well, actually, they did it in the Bible. Read the book of Acts. We don't follow the rules. We follow the person who we worship. So we've got this new life. Jesus is going to come and massage us with the Holy Spirit. And that might not feel comfortable. I don't mean just a nice back rub. I had some shoulder pain recently around home, and I just couldn't move my neck. It was real, apparently, balls of tension, so you can say, you're welcome. Um, but um, I had a massage, and it was a deep tissue massage, and I felt like my eyes were pulled back like this, so I suddenly had different shaped face, and it was intense, and it hurt, and if I wasn't a man, I might have cried. <laughs> So massaging isn't always comfortable. Jesus comes as the winemaker to bring new wine into our lives, massaging us with the Holy Spirit. Bring us back to, renew, bring us back to a life of purpose in the kingdom where we can contain the violent fermentation of his new wine in our lives that we would not be ruined and that the wine would not be spilled and wasted. The good news is you're not discarded, you're not wasted, you're not put to one side, you're not told to sit in the naughty corner. Jesus invites every single person to come, receive this revelation with the, with the massaging of the Holy Spirit. Um, Liam, if you could prepare the video, I'll let you know when to play it if that's okay. We did practice this earlier. Before I finish, I just want to um, perhaps cast vision because I, I sat down and I said, okay, God, if we're going to live in this new place with new wine, the new wine of Jesus Christ, what does it look like for us? And, and there's five things. I'll just share them quickly. And then we're going to listen to this song by Hillsong called New Wine. And Brooke is going to sing it to us and God's going to minister to you. What does it look like for our church family to walk into a place where we experience the new wine of Jesus that brings us joy? What's the fruit of that? Well, I I have five things here. Increased favor with God. And by favor, I mean his love and joy invading our lives. That would be a good thing to expect, eh? Yep, you can nod and smile. Yes, please. I'll sign up for that. Naturally supernatural. That means miracles happen all the time. We're not surprised by it. Do you know there's no supernatural in God's kingdom? He is just natural. We call it super because we have to ascribe it to him. That's what supernatural means. But when we're naturally supernatural, we expect God to do miracles all the time. Number three, unity. John 17, unity. As Jesus and the Father are one, may we also be one that the world would know his love. That's what I see with new wine. Influence. Influence means having a greater and greater impact in our community. We're going to announce some exciting stuff in our community trust shortly. God is doing some amazing things. Miracles are happening in the community trust as we believe God 
to lead people into a place where they can impact them with the love of Jesus Christ in practical ways. I am so excited about that. Why? Because it's our heart through the community trust impacting people's lives. It's you. It's us. It's our family making a difference in Tiamudu. Finally, uh, advancement. So increased favor with God, naturally supernatural, unity is God, the Father and Jesus are one, influence meaning impact, and advancement meaning we're widening our reach into communities we don't yet touch, people groups, nations, sectors of society. God didn't send his light to invade the light. He sent his light to invade the darkness. So, as we play the song, what I want you to do is listen to the words if you don't know the song. I did have a version with words up there, but technology escapes me today. This is on their latest album. I encourage you to get it on Spotify, iTunes, or on CD, those round things, if you still have those. Listen, turn it up a bit, guys, and let's listen to the words, and then we'll respond. Trust you, I don't need 
I want you to respond. I just, I want you to ask Jesus as, as, as Brooke finishes the song, it's going to keep playing. But I really do wonder, what is it that Jesus would say, this is old and it needs to go. This is not the new life or the new paradigms that I've called you to live in. So in this last bit of the song, this is where you choose to respond. You can do that where you are. You can come up the front. We often say this front is like an altar where we lay things down. You can do that if you want. But what I'm asking is, Jesus is inviting you to be a new vessel, a new wineskin. He wants to massage you with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to let go of the old. And what is it that he would have today, that he would put his finger on? He would say, come on, let's remove this. Let's give it away. Let's move into a new space where I can fill you with the Spirit again, that you would contain the new life. we close the service this morning I think it's just uh, that, that word of encouragement all or nothing it's, <laughs> it's a scary question but it's one that we can ask ourselves and God you know and not be fearful of because all means so much more than than we can possibly ever dream or imagine he's got so much for us so as as you go and, and fellowship with one another this morning and, and it's because today is social Sunday go and invite someone back challenge each other and, and ask each other are you in all 
boots and all. It was an amazing, amazing message, and it's given us a lot to think about. So meditate on that throughout the week. Have an amazing week. May God bless you, and may he keep you, and may his face smile upon you. We serve a wonderful and amazing God. And if you need prayer for anything, please come forward. I want you to have a blessed week. Remember to continue to pray for those that, daughters of the King. Um, yeah, and enjoy fellowship with one another. Be blessed in Jesus' name.